Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Carol Cohen with a timely episode on how to relaunch your career. Carol lays out a strategy for how to get a job after being away from the workforce. And while this info is applicable for someone who hasn't worked in a while, it's also relevant for anyone that's just trying to get a job, as a lot of people are going to be going through now. Anyway, Carol's smart and fun, and she's easy to listen to, so let's get into the pod. Hey, Carol, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you have had a pretty interesting career. I mean, you started off working at the Capital Group and getting into investment banking and working for Bain, and now you've got your your own startup. But uh, let's start early days at the beginning when, when Carol was getting out of college. What was going through your mind then? Well, I was born and raised in Southern California, and I went to college in Southern California. And when I was graduating, I really didn't know exactly what I was going to do. So I had two job offers. I had one from Xerox in sales, and I had one from the Capital Group, the big money management firm based in LA, for something called the Associates Program. It was the first year that they were offering this rotational two-year program for people right out of college. And that offer was about 60% lower than my Xerox offer, but I decided to take it because I was really intrigued by that business. And I had, well, you know what, I'm going to back up. I had applied for to Harvard Business School right out of college. And I graduated in 1981. And at the time, business schools were transitioning from having people go directly to business school as opposed to working for a couple of years and then applying. So I got a rejection from HBS, but it wasn't the flat rejection. It was the go work for two years and reapply rejection. So when I was picking this job, I was also trying to think, is one job better than the other in terms of me trying to reapply to business school? So anyway, I ended up going to Capital, Capital Group. It was the most amazing experience I had mentors from that original job that I still have today. Some, a couple of them actually have died because uh, so many years have gone by, but just amazing people. And actually, I should make the comment that mostly that they were all men and they went to bat for me at work and in business school applications and they were they were true mentors. So uh, the people I met there were lifelong friends and, and colleagues. So I ended up uh, working there for the two years, and then I, I did end up going to Harvard Business School, so I went to the East Coast. And when I worked between my first and second year of business school, I worked for what was then known as a leveraged buyout company, a leveraged buyout founder named Bill Farley, 
who owned a, a whole bunch of companies. And he told me if I was interested in getting into that side of the business, I should get operating experience. So right when I graduated uh, from business school, I ended up in a manufacturing job. I think I was the only person in my class to go into manufacturing because he said, work for a company that makes a product and has inventory and you know has to manage the, the actual production and logistics of a business that's you know n- not transactional, not, not finance oriented. I ended up doing that for a couple of years and then I transitioned back into finance and I took a job in the Boston Corporate Finance Group of Drexel Burnham Lambert. So if, I don't know if any of your listeners will remember Drexel, but I worked there in the late 80s and I was on maternity leave with my first child when Drexel collapsed in February of 1990. So it, it collapsed kind of suddenly, kind of like the way Lehman Brothers collapsed in 2008, but for very different reasons. And I decided not to go back to work. I knew I was going to have more kids. I ended up having three more kids and I was home with them for 11 years. And then in 2001, I returned to work at Bain Capital in their high yield debt management group, in part because there were ex-Drexel people there who remembered me from 11 years before. And later I left that job and uh, wrote a book about returning to work and then started my company, iRelaunch. Amazing story, Carol. And like a couple things jump out at me. One is taking that that first job that paid you less money. It sounds like, I mean, you were looking, trying to maximize which one you thought Harvard would would uh, put more importance on. But But also it sounds like you took the job where you would maybe learn more versus the one that paid you more, which is, you know, Warren Buffett's advice is to always take the job that that you learn more. So was that along your line of thinking? Yes and no. So I think that I could have taken either job and I would have learned a ton. Entering the world of, of sales and for a company that Xerox at the time, I know I could have learned a lot there too. But there was something about the culture and the people that were at the capital group who I met, in addition to the business itself and being really intrigued by, by that, that made it a, an opportunity I, I just couldn't turn down. And, and also being the inaugural, in the inaugural group of this program that they had just launched, they were paying a lot of attention to it. So that got me an opportunity to work in institutional sales and fund accounting and the trading desk and equity research. And so that was the other appeal is I was going to be able to have exposure to all these different departments. And I knew that would also help me figure out what I liked the most and and what I felt was a good match. Right. Okay. Makes sense. And I guess the other question here is how you've been so deliberate, it sounds like, in creating mentors for yourself. It sounds like that's pretty much been one of like the guiding forces of of your careers is cultivating these relationships, taking their advice, and then you know leaving work for eleven years and then having leaning on on those relationships again to to get to get back in. How do you how do you create such valuable relationships like that? You know, it's so interesting that you put it that way because the you know the whole concept of mentorship and sponsorship, it's 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 such a big topic now. But remember when when I was in 1981 through 1983, no one was talking about that. So for me, it was purely that I met these interesting people who I liked so much and respected so much. And I just threw myself into the job and I 
it wasn't like I was intentionally trying to cultivate the relationships. I just naturally developed these relationships because I love the people so much and, and the business. So that happened, I don't want to say on its own, but it happened without me. It wasn't like I was being opportunistic about it. It, it just happened. And, but then another thing that I, I recognized later, and this is something that we actually talk about at iRelaunch, because we're, we're focusing on people who are returning to work after a career break, and we're working with companies to create programs to engage with people who are returning after a career break. And one of the the strategies that we talk about is when you get back in touch with people from the past, people with whom you worked or went to school, they have a frozen in time view of you and they're going to remember you as you were. And this happened to me and and was illustrated starkly in, in two ways. First, when I was thinking about going back to work, I went to my 15-year business school reunion. And at that point, I had been on career break for nine years. And I ran into my classmates. And, you know, this is exactly the situation where a lot of people do not want to go to the reunion because you don't have anything to report in the career department. But I decided to go. I ran into some former classmates. One of them had become a headhunter. Uh, you know, I said, I've been on career break. I'm looking to go back. Actually, I've been back for 10 years. I had been out of work for 10 years at that point. And wouldn't you know, nine, nine months later, I hear from her and she said, you know, something crossed my desk that might be interesting to you and a perfect match with your skill set. It was like a regional CFO position. And I was had a laugh to myself because I thought, what skill set is she talking about? The one that she remembers when we were sitting next to each other as first years in 1983. So that's when I first thought, wow, people have this frozen in time view of me, even if my sense of self might have diminished over time while I've been on career break and felt more professionally disconnected. People from the past don't know anything about that. They just remember me as, as I was. And the same thing happened when I got in touch with my old Drexel colleagues. One, the managing director from our Boston office had an annual Christmas party. And every year I went and, I, and every year I'm like, yeah, I'm home with kids, I'm home with kids. And then finally in year 10, I said, you know what? I'm thinking about going back. And that's when everyone got so excited and they just were like, oh, that's, that's, so, that's great news let's have lunch, you know, I can help you. And, and people were so generous and so excited. It helped me build my confidence a little bit more because they had such a positive view of my return. Right, Carol. And so my main takeaway from that is the authentic way in which you did networking, which is really the only way to do it. I mean, we all have like motivations for networking, right? It's like, oh, I want to get a different job or I want a job that pays me more money or I want to be invited to this guy's Christmas party or whatever it is. But when we like lead with those things, it it really turns people off. And so the way that you're describing is like you didn't have an ulterior motive. You were just organically, authentically interested in getting to know these people, learning from these people. That's the only way to do it. And you have to be genuinely interested and you can't have other motives. And then over time, right, you can call them 11 years later and say, hey, so-and-so, I need something from you now. And they're happy to do it versus if you led with, hey, I need something now. We had a good conversation. Can I have a job for you? Like, it's just, that's not the way to do it. Right. We actually tell people, you can't get back in touch with people with this opportunistic stance, you know, and it, a good way to rekindle a relationship that's been dormant for a number of years is when you get back in touch with them, whether it's you connect with them on LinkedIn or some, some mutual friends gives you their contact information is to just 
lay it out there and say, you know, I've, I've been on career break for the last 10 years and I'm being very intentional about what I want to return to. And I'm working on becoming a subject matter expert all over again. Can you tell me who you think the best experts in the fields are or field are or what books or articles or podcasts are you listening to or following? And that is an easy question for them to answer and a nice way to reconnect. And it gives them information about you and it allows them to help you in a way that is pretty easy for them to do so. So that's like a really nice first step in building back a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. So, okay, Carol, let's get back to the, to the end of your, uh, I mean, the end of, not the end of your journey, but the, where we left off of, you know, your HBS classmate saying, I think this is a relevant job for you to be a, a CFO. And you start to like, you know, looking at back, getting back into work. How did you overcome that divide of like people thinking who you were 10 years ago versus who you wanted to be today? Having her give me this job opportunity really forced me into getting my resume together. So I I had to produce that to her for her to show to her client. That job actually later went away because they they decided to completely reorganize and, and promote from within. But for me, it did sort of get me back into job search mode. And I started having conversations with with all of these people who I knew and I and I would take them up on their offer to have coffee or go to lunch. And and I did feel this huge gap in my knowledge. And so I hadn't read the Wall Street Journal regularly for the 11 years I was on career break. I had to resubscribe to that and read it cover to cover every day for a good six months to even know, you know, there was a, there was a lot of consolidation in, in the finance uh, world in that 10-year period. And some companies went bankrupt and some combined with each other and the names changed. And not, so I had to learn it on that level. But then I also had to understand what are all these new financial products now and what are the new acronyms and why don't we use the old ones anymore? And so I really grilled people on that. And I did a lot of homework, you know, looking at my old deals that I worked on, even looking at old business school notes and books and finance cases. So I did dive into that somewhat. That started to make me feel more confident after I did enough of that work. But I did a lot of talking to people. And over time, there there were people in, in my Drexel network who were working in the high yield debt management group over at Bain Capital. And, and actually, I should say this, the, the key guy was the managing director who, who founded that area of Bain Capital. He was junior to me when we worked at Drexel. So when we were on a deal team, he was the analyst. I was right out of college. I was the MBA associate. You know how these, these deal teams are put together in investment banking. And we had stayed in touch. And so I, he was one of the people who, who I talked to. And so I ended up you know, while I was on career break for 11 years, he's moving up. He becomes a managing director at Bain Capital. He's the one who opened the door for me to go interview there. And so we now have multiple stories of, of people who have relaunched careers who are working for people who used to work for them. So one thing, I'm glad that you mentioned this because something that I will say to your podcast audience, who I'm guessing are earlier in your careers, are nurture your relationships with people who are junior to you. Because if you end up going on career break, they will be moving up and later they could become important 
contacts for you for getting back into the workforce and maybe you en- end up working for them. I mean, even if you don't go on career break or you do, but like careers aren't linear. So people below you, we all get so caught up in like, oh, am I a first year or associate or a second year associate? Like none of these things actually matter, right? It's just like it matters in, in your little bubble of where you are. But as soon as you step outside of that, people below you, above you, to the side of you, like these are all great resources that we can use that people often don't. They're just like, oh, I just want to network with people above me because they can give me the next job. And that's a short-sighted way to do it. Exactly. So you should be, of course, networking with people above you and your peers, but don't forget about those junior people because they could, you know, you may, maybe you're mentoring them. Maybe they report to you. Maybe that you just know them. That is a really important pool. Yep. Careers are, careers are long and like maybe you're above them for this, this little period, but the next period they'll be above you. So who knows? That's what's interesting. But I do like thinking about like not letting, you know, society pressure you into like some people would probably get, they wouldn't feel good about that. It's like, oh, I was this person's boss and now they're going to be my boss. Like, I can't do that. Who cares? Like, it's a good job. You'll learn. Go take it. Yeah. And not only that, when you're relaunching, you have to expect that you are going to be reporting to someone who's younger than you are. Maybe it's not the person you worked for before, but it will likely be someone who's younger. So I went back, I was 42 years old. My direct boss was 37. And that's pretty typical. Yeah. So, okay. And then Carol, you're back in the workforce. You're using your your old skill sets. Was it everything that you hoped it would be? Like how'd it go? So, you know, it's it's an interesting question. So I, I ended up being there for about a year and I made a mistake that I now tell people not to not to make the same mistake. And that is I didn't step back and do a full career assessment before I decided to start looking for a job. I just thought I was a financial analyst by trade. I am going to, I was good at it. I loved it. I'm going to go right back into what I did before. So I didn't do any thinking about have my interests and skills shifted during this 11 year period while while I've been away. I was relaunching my career back in 2000, 2001, before anyone was talking about the concept of relaunching. There were no books on the topic. No one was talking about it. I didn't know a single other person who had gone back to work, who, who had taken a career break. So I was really kind of on my own and I skipped this step and I'm thinking I should have, that, that was a mistake because once I was well into the job, I realized I loved meeting with company management. I love the business writing piece. I love writing up uh, the investment opinion. I love presenting the investment opinion, but the solitary spreadsheet analysis piece of the, of the job, I didn't like as much anymore. And, you know, I was like, queen of spreadsheet analysis when when I was 11 years before when I was working in investment banking I was really good at it and and that was just that was just part of my identity was was doing all that and so I wished I had stepped back and done this analysis beforehand so I ended up leaving the job and I left on very good terms with everyone even to this day, actually. And right away, I became the subject of a case study at HBS about a person who relaunched a career. And I always laugh because I feel like there weren't that many people who returned to work in a demanding full-time job after taking career breaks. So they didn't have a huge pool of people (laughs) to pull from. But I did end up being the protagonist in this case. And shortly after that, I ended up getting a book contract 
to co-author the book that became Back on the Career Track with another HBS alum who had five kids and took a seven-year career break and went back into executive search. So we ended up getting the book contract to write the book, and we were just going to write a book. But then in the process of researching the book, not only were we talking to people who had relaunched careers, but we were talking to employers and work-life experts and, and academics, and there was a flurry of return to work programming activity that went on in the pre-recession period, 2004 to 2006. Lehman Brothers started a program called Encore. Tuck had a program called Back to Business. UBS had a joint program with Wharton around career comeback. So we started getting asked to speak in these programs and help create the foundations for the programs in the first place, depending on which one, or screen candidates for them. And it w- we actually co-founded our relaunch in response to all of this unsolicited inbound requests that we were getting to do some of this work with companies and, and universities. So, so that's what ultimately happened. I mean, Carol, that's a really cool journey, a really cool story, because you kind of just rolled with the punches. You let the universe tell you what was happening. You thought you want to go back into the financial analysis world. And then you're like, you know, this was great 10 years ago, but now look at this other skill set that I've just kind of happened into. And I am a subject matter expert in this. I don't need to even work at it. It's here. And let's go see how I can exploit these skills and these relationships. Pretty cool. Yeah. It seemed like I lived it and then I wrote about it and then started the company around it. And they were really coming from an authentic place. And at this point, a deep... I'd say historical knowledge, you know, we've been even before the book came out, there was a lot of research and then informal focus on this. So I've really been in this space for over 15 years now. It's such a cool story here. And uh, so I'll let you leave it with the same way we did it on your podcast with the piece of advice, you know, some advice for people, you know, trying to carve out their their place in the world and you know work for great companies like you did or start their own thing like what do you tell someone trying to you know figure it all out one very specific piece of advice i can give your audience is to document let me explain what i mean when we're relaunching careers all of us who've been out for a long time and we are going to start interviewing again we essentially have to recreate the past like we have to think of an anecdote from each of our prior work experiences and rehearse those and have those in our back pocket to bring up at the right moment in conversations when we're on our job search but if you are currently working i say open up an e-file and start documenting anytime you learn something, positive experiences, negative experiences, milestone experiences. And if you keep that ongoing record, you will be able to use it years later, if you do take a career break or even if you don't, to have this real-time documentation of what you're experiencing in your roles as they happen. Sounds like it could be very, very valuable in the course of a long, long career to be able to have something to to fall back on, strengths and weaknesses and pluses and minuses. Super cool. So how can people learn more about your work? So people can go to irelaunch.com, which is our website. And that is the most comprehensive place to find out about what we do. And we also have a podcast called 321irelaunch. And I recommend that podcast and also especially the episode that's going to be coming up with Alex, you. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about organic. (laughs) Carol, this was a lot of fun speaking with you. Your advice is, I think, really spot on, really, really good stuff in here. So I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow, and leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.